0: Today we have a a special guest that we're going to. I don't know. We might beat on you a little bit, but (laughs) uh, you know, just because you come from a company that's somewhat pop. I mean, somewhat kind of famous and or well known. But uh, Jonathan Nelson, global solutions engineering leader at Vonage. And uh, I don't have, I don't have vendors on that often, but because you're a solutions engineer, AKA sales engineer, and we have the sales engineers, like the best job in the world, I think, because you kind of, you're, you're responsible for making sure salespeople don't say stupid things and, uh, make up, you know, grandiose promises to, um, the customer would you, would you say that that's a fair statement I think that's fair
1: uh, sometimes we're a barometer of truth but I, I think also we're that trusted we're that trusted advisor in a lot of instances right because you know <laughs> even if you have the most intelligent and capable sales rep um, that title of sales rep doesn't garner as much trust
0: as the solutions engineering label does so I have this ongoing argument it's like if we have this the sales engineer it's kind of like why do we need the sales Person. I guess they're just more good at, I, more good, right? <laughs> I mean, here I am, an English major. Uh, I guess they're just more good at um, hustling and being hungry, I guess. So, but regardless, uh, welcome to the show. And I'm, I wanted to have you on for a couple reasons because there's a lot of times in the, in this industry, well, or, in general, kind of the mid-market enterprise space or uh, people, when they think of a vendor, they have kind of these preconceived notions. You know, if I say at and someone immediately thinks of something. When I say Windstream, someone thinks of something. When someone says Vonage, I cannot help but think when I was living in a two-bedroom apartment in low-income housing, paying only ninety-nine dollars a month rent. You know, newly married with a child on the way, and I got this box from Vonage in the mail that was like going to be my new phone line, and I was like, you know, I worked for like I think like Fazoli's, I think. I worked for- <laughs> I think I worked the the fast, you know. I was working like the drive through at the time, asking people if they wanted breadsticks with that. Right. And I didn't know. Like, what do you mean? You plug it in what to your DSL? Like, I don't even. What's DSL? That that was my first experience with Vonage, and it was like you know, insane. I was like, yeah, this isn't gonna work. I don't get this. What do you mean the internet? It Was just send it back. Like, you know, honey, send it back. Little little did I know that that later on in my life a. A you know Cisco startup like recruiter guy would call me and say, hey, do you know what Voiceover IP was? What Voiceover IP is? And I'm like, I have no idea. I was like, I know Cisco delivers my paper products and uh, food to like, you know, the restaurant. And he's like, no, 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 no Cisco with the C. <laughs> okay. I'm really revealing myself here. Okay. This is, I'm really revealing my past here. But anyways, that was my very first experience with Vonage ever. And there's other people out there that have some, you know, Vonage is the, in my opinion, quintessential example of a, te- of the ebb and flow of the telecom industry and why, the if you ask one out of three Americans who has the worst customer support in the in in any industry, they say telecom. Like telecom, and that includes you know internet providers, you know telecom. All of the telecom in general has the worst customer support because typically people are calling one eight hundred Go Pound Sand. And if you look up you know reviews on various different telecom companies, we did it the other day. Well, we might do that during the show. It's a good laugh. Um, you have this constant ebb and flow. And Vonage is, and usually you're either a telecom company getting bought, you're either selling or you're going bankrupt. And Vonage is on the upper echelons side where you guys are just buying companies for years, all kinds of different companies. So when someone has Thinks of Vonage. They could be any number of companies that you guys bought up over the last couple of years that either had a good network or a bad network or got caught in between merging networks. And you've been there for quite a while, so I'll let you. I'll put you in the hot seat here. You know, you've been at Vonage for eight years. How many companies have you guys bought over the last eight years?
1: I I think we've done um, eight companies over the last six years, if I remember right. And there maybe I may be off by one or two. Um, but I think that was it, right? There is this um, B to C mentality initially, you know, kind of, I, I always joke around that we were kind of the godfathers of VoIP um, and we had those annoying commercials like to go with it, right? Like godfather's pizza. <laughs> right. I mean, it was just so, so commonplace and people still know us even when we talk to businesses, you know, there's always somebody in the room from the CIO to the director of IT. They're like, I still have you guys for my residential phone. And, um, it's, it's, it's always funny, but you know, really it was this, um, it was this pivot towards the business and this vision of building um, a complete technology stack that led us down this this road of acquisition. I think initially, you know, some of those acquisitions were of um, different carriers or technology stacks. You can think like Broadsoft and stuff like that. And we still hold those and we manage and curate those. Um, But we've really gone all in on our own proprietary technology. And that's where a lot of our acquisitions have gone into of late. Um, When you think of of bleeding edge technologies like conversational AI you know even more years back I think it's like five or six years now when we bought the the API platform of Nexmo we've wrapped those apis around these other packaged applications of UC and CC um, and it's really created this extensibility um, of what we can provide to our client base um, and so we're still we still have those hurdles right Phil of people saying really you guys are in business give me a break you know. And we yeah. still have to have those authentic discussions of, okay, yeah, I get it. You still remember us back in the day, but I trust us. Our ads aren't as annoying now. Well, maybe that's arguable, but
0: <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to Google some old ad, you know, it's funny because we, uh, uh, Vonage is a key supplier in the Rolodex, so to speak over at CNSG and AppSmart, of which I'm a, a partner at. And, We have thousands, probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of actual endpoints, maybe we could call them end users, um, on Vonage on various different platforms. And I have seen all kinds of good and bad. I've seen, you know, when it was, you know, you guys bought a company down in DC years ago called Mm I-Corps i had both GenBand and a, I think it was Gen I don't know if it was all GenBand but I know you had GenBand and they had GenBand and BroadSoft BroadSoft too, yep And they, It was funny because they used to say no we're not voice over IP we're VoP we're, we're voice over P.I. I'll never forget that sales presentation that I sat in on years ago, like years and years ago. And and someone said, no, no, we're, we're voice over P.I. <laughs> it's just an example of, of how marketing departments like twist things. And all they are saying is, no, we're voice over private internet. And a.k.a. we're going to make you buy a T1. I mean, we're going to make you buy an MPLS tail T1 slash back to Equinix so that we can provide QoS for you. Right, So, I would imagine, and when i and and the only reason why I bring that up is because when companies buy other companies, you have a you have a kind of a, a, I guess, a liquidation point where customer service goes downhill at the old company and then customer service takes over at the new company and they're not used to the network. And then you've got to migrate those things. So I guess I'm just making up excuses for you guys. I'm making excuses for you guys. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's why, you know, so you could have gotten stuck in that, you could have gotten stuck in that area, in that neither world of um, something that just got labeled Vonage. But how has the, what's it like watching the take seven companies or six companies over the last eight years and, and kind of merge the networks?
1: It's been interesting. I mean, it's not been without its challenges, you know, Phil, it's, um, it's been difficult at times, but the thing that I would, um, really compliment the entire Vonage organization on is just the ability to, um, to learn from those losses and to to learn fast, quite frankly. I mean, we've stumbled. Um, we've stumbled within the channel specifically. We've stumbled on our technology, but we've turned around and built something stronger from that. Um, and there's, you know, this drive behind it, and that's the people within the organization. But then there's also this, this core technology stack that has helped us been able to provide a product that people are still interested in because we're you know I, I think you and I spoke about it there's there's this commoditization of certain types of communications products and telco products and so what is that niche and how do you do better right um, and, I think that we've been able to push that needle and really keep the interest and grow our intellectual property and capabilities enough to to really stay
0: relevant in the space like the like the broad softs of the world have become somewhat, I don't want to say commoditized, but I would say, you know, there's a good run, a good run there for a while where 95% of all the VoIP providers were really a broad-suffed backend with a skinny over the top. Right. Um, with that being said, you as a company have been able to progress and stay. I would say at least stay on top of the curve or ahead of the curve. Where I've seen a lot of, and when you said UC earlier and CC earlier, obviously uh, unified communications or contact center, and the or aka you know a like you know your regular phone user versus your contact center user. Because telecom, we we love throwing around acronyms. We love saying, <laughs> that's so true. We love saying LO LOA. We love saying FOC date and. Our, our <laughs> 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 one time, I had I had a post about a hot FOC date. One time, because we were doing a hot cut on a FOC date, and uh, anyways, um, so the let's not. So we got to be careful not to throw around terms and speak in other languages. But staying ahead of the curve is important. I've seen with a lot of um, contact centers, a at least some of the first contact centers that moved to the cloud. I won't make any. I won't. I won't. I won't say any names here. There's definitely like a top three in my head that moved to the cloud. That sure. were kind of like a Java-based type of thing, or they were, you know, not WebRTC. Let's just put it that way. And they grew fairly large and have a large customer base. And and at, at they're at a point now where it's hard for them to pivot. And remain nimble and kind of you know like speed up. And you guys seem to have been able to grab onto that WebRTC piece and maybe just talk about that for a second and why that's why that's important now and how that's creating flexibility or you know open source stuff or you know whatever it is uh, abilities to to you know be more flexible with APIs et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there, so I'll try not to go too deep into it, but I mean, the technology itself just lends itself to flexibility. Uh, And, you know, even when we look at the vast majority of our contacts and our deployments, they are WebRTC, and it allows a ton of flexibility. Um, And from the CC space, being able to be telephony agnostic is really important, specifically because, you know, people may have premises-based um, infrastructure still that they haven't depreciated or they're in contracts or quite frankly, they really like their current um, telephony or unified communications provider and they just want to replace the contact center. And so having that ability to be flexible was really key to our success in, in driving contact center um, acquisition in the market. Uh, one of the other pieces and parts is, you know, early on and even before Vonage acquired them, um, which was New Voice Media, which is the intelligence of our contact center stack, um, they were all in on Salesforce and Salesforce was the CRM to beat, um, still is um, in many arguments. And because they're an industry leader, MVM was able to design around this industry leading technology and build a base that as it got folded into the Vonage ecosystem and technology stack, we were able to take that um, strength and start to build it out in other key systems like Dynamics 365 and ServiceNow and some others that are coming down the pipe. One of the things that you'll see with the contact center especially um, is that Vonage is really heavy into the CRM and we really believe that um, a lot of people are coming down to that. They want that single source of truth. They want the ability to have all their data in one place, easy to access, easy to add information, um, and easy to dissect. And so Vonage being um, not only integrated, but embedded within these CRM ecosystems really drives more data so that those companies can make better decisions. And then we get to talk about the, the bleeding edge, you know, artificial intelligence that can go into it for next best action and you know all kinds of different things for um, data analytics, which is such a hot topic right now.
0: So for IT directors, managers, CTO, CIOs out there listening, data is very important, obviously, what we do with that data, not to mention how they house the data to begin with and how they input the data, but what are some of the things just even in general in a contact center, what kind of data do we want to be pulling that's going to provide, I guess, returns for the business?
1: You know, I, I think when you look at it, like from a sales perspective, you want to know how many touches it took um, at a very high level to get to a closed opportunity. Um, how long that sales cycle took, how many touches it took and what channels really impacted the most. And, you know, I think you and I joked about it the other day is, you know, was it a mailing? Was it an email? Was it a text? Was it a video conversation? Was it, you know, a phone conversation or was it a combination of those things? And when you start to add that data up and start to pull back and look at it holistically within your entire sales org, whether it's nationally, regionally or even globally, you really start to get a better picture of your business to say, these are the things we need to repeat oh, time and time again to get those most successful
0: um, outcome, which is a closed deal. And how easy is it working with your current contact center slash omni channel options channels, whether it be integrated with Salesforce or ServiceNow or Microsoft Dynamics to change and be nimble and be flexible with how various different sales departments are doing, is doing that outreach. Or if it's not sales, maybe it's operations and how many calls it took to, I don't know, do anything, some sort of install. Or maybe it be existing customer base and how are we focusing on our top 20% of our most important customers versus the, you know, the bottom 80%. Are you saying it's easy to morph, change, and and you know push out a data set that someone needs? Yeah, I mean,
1: I am saying that, but of course, adoption is key too, right? You've got to make sure that the technology that you're deploying from whatever service provider is easy to use by the agent. If we're talking about a contact center, or by the the knowledge worker, if we're talking about the middle or back office, um, you know, I I think it's important that you can get those applications either, you know, I hate this term, but I, I'm going to end up using it, which is that single pane of glass, you know, everything can come together in one application or to the, or, or at the very least that it's only a couple of applications. Because once you start jumping from app to app to app to app in order to accomplish your day-to-day goal, um, then it just becomes laborious and no fun for the end user Um, But when you start driving it all into a single location, they can get everything done in multiple channels. They can see their metrics, that data that they're producing, and they start to feel good about that accomplishment as well. So not only from the end user perspective, but then as it goes up the ladder, um, people start to see better ideas of how to engage not only their employees, but their client base as well.
0: Do you think the PSTN is dead <laughs> I love that. Um, it's it's a loaded <laughs> it's, question. It, out, out there listening, to you, the public switch telephone network, aka, I make a phone call. It goes through all these different switches. You know, I make a phone call in Boston. And it goes through various different switches, mm-hmm. aka the PSTN, the public switch telephone network. And that phone call reaches California. That's the simplicity explanation of it. Are phones dying, and how does Vonage fit into the death? Yeah, phones
1: are dying. And I would say not only Vonage, but even our competitors fit into the death. I think that um, even to a degree, nature is against the PSTN because COVID helped drive some of the final nails in it, right? Um, It's interesting because I've spoken to so many people and they're like, whereas before the pandemic, I would religiously use my desk phone. I haven't touched the thing. There's an inch of dust on top of it. All I do is jump on a Zoom, a Teams, a Vonage meetings. You know, we're all in video now. Everything is utilizing either WebRTC or some sort of protocol that delivers via a browser or a desktop application. Um, I, I haven't spoken on a physical phone in I don't know how long. My favorite part was when I shipped literally, like, Eight physical IP phones back to our corporate office, and they were like, "Why'd you send us this? <laughs> well, yeah, like, why didn't you just throw them away <laughs> <laughs> or
0: recycle them, right? Because that's the responsible thing to do." <laughs> yes, yeah, you're,
1: you're right.
0: why didn't you just burn them in the in the brush pile? Right. The, <laughs> the, um, I'm revealing myself a little. Not really. I'm not throwing phones in the brush pile. I do have a yearly MPLS. I do have a yearly MPLS contract burn, and it's coming up right now. Yes, I take some some old MPLS contracts and I I use those to start the massive brush pile that's out there. I Uh, love it. That's another thing is, is MPLS dead. And then you get a bunch of technical guys like what are you talking about? <laughs> well MPLS is not dead. The entire massive like network of the world is I know, I know. I'm sorry. I mean um on net VPNs that you purchase from a telco company for uh three megs or one point five megs for uh six hundred dollars a month. Is that dead? Yeah. Um to which it sh- the answer should be a should be yes, but people are still on exchange servers and <laughs> um 1976 meridian pbx is where they asked me will the new phone system have caller id so i'm assuming you can answer yes to all of that it's amazing the stuff that we still run into the legacy the legacy fun so so and that's dead. let me ask you i want you to make a prediction was the mass migration to zoom premature and is that going to equal out and kind of disappear I don't know that it'll
1: disappear. Um, I do think to a degree it was premature and, you know, kudos to Zoom for, you know, cr- creating an easy product and being in the right place at the right time. And I yeah. think that that's a lot of stuff, right? Is is being in the right place at the right time really always helps. Um, but then you layer onto it, the ease of use of their product um, is wonderful. I think, you know, as with anything, when there's a darling in the tech industry um, and they grow quick, um, mm-hmm people start to look elsewhere to see what else is out there because now they're used to this type of technology. And I think that was their education, right? Um, They got educated with the Zoom use, they jumped feet first into it, even people that didn't know how to spell Zoom. and now they're, they're used to this and now they're trying to see what else is out there. I want this specific feature or I want to be able to do this or I've got this new idea. Who can I talk to to make this happen? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it was premature and I think people will learn from it and they will grow and they will start to find other providers that can provide more um, specific needs or
0: provide for those needs. Yeah, for example, we're recording on Microsoft Teams right now. I've been doing this podcast on Zoom forever, but this one, This is the second podcast that I've recorded on Microsoft Teams. I found a minor flaw, minor flaw in Zoom. I don't know if it's minor or major, but it has a noise canceling feature Mm -hmm. that if I have my soundboard plugged in like I do right now and I'm recording and I want to hit one of the sound effect buttons, their background (laughs) noise reduction feature cuts it off. So I can't use the sound effects, but I tested it in Microsoft Teams and it works beautifully. So don't add on the noise canceling feature. Uh, Well, Bill Gates really isn't in charge anymore, but um, Microsoft, don't add that on. So Microsoft Teams, I have a feeling is going to make a quick, I think is quickly going to kind of gobble up a little bit of that market share. That's just my my educated if I if I had a gun to my head and I had to, I, I had to guess who who would you know five years from now have the majority of video conferencing licenses. I'm I'm I would bet Microsoft. I don't know if that's a safe bet. What do you think?
1: I, I think it's a, I think it's a safe bet. It's I mean you're you've got, 50/50 shot, opinion,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've got Go a fifty fifty shot in my opinion, Phil.
1: You've got a fifty fifty on this, so I, I I think it's a safe bet, and I think that you know Microsoft has. One it's, not WebEx. it's not WebEx? Who?
0: It's not WebEx? <laughs> no, I know. That was joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, uh, yeah. Someone out there right now is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I love WebEx.
1: And WebEx has a great product, too, but there's so many great products out there. I think it's funny being in the industry. And even for a specific service provider, I literally have everybody's video application on my desktop because mm-hmm. when I talk to partners, they use something different. When I talk to clients, they want to use something specific. Um, so I've got them all and they all have some of their benefits but yep. the ease of use ones that are there, I mean, you can guarantee most people have a Zoom app and a Teams app.
0: <laughs> yep. Then we got blue jeans. What else we got? We've got, you know... you know, Just part of Verizon, right? Google Meet, Yeah, we got, I mean, we have everything. And then we have all the versions of, um, of zoom that are, which is white labeled by somebody else. It's, it's still zoom. <laughs> right. It's still, still zoom. Um, but you guys have a video, you guys have a video conferencing platform built into the built into your UCNCC, right? Correct.
1: That is correct. Yeah. We do have a proprietary platform that utilizes part of our API stack that we packaged up and put into our unified communications platform. It is an amazing ad hoc collaboration tool that allows a lot of versatility and it's included in the UC license. So You're we're not also- trying to compete with the teams and Zooms of the world. We're trying to just help with that collaboration piece of it and add easy ways for people to talk, engage, and, and move back and forth in multiple channels across their communication
0: software. Immediately, I just thought of the sales rep saying, you know, see, you don't have to pay for this anymore. We include it for free. <laughs> right, it's that's, exactly. That's, right. Not, that, that's that's why uh, you guys are also a Microsoft Direct Routing partner, so you're able to not just API into Teams, but just provide direct routing. Correct. Yeah. And so, um,
1: what we've been working there. Um, I mean, that's such a hot topic, right? I mean, Phil, how many times have you said, "Well, can you integrate with Teams to a service provider?" Um, I mean, we all have to do it, but the direct route is the most um, effective way where you can keep somebody, again, in that single application, right? You get the benefit of the team's application, which is a great app with a ton of capabilities in there for an entire organization to interact. But then you get the best of breed with, say, a Vonage as a service provider being that telephony backend with all those appropriate and required hosted PBX features, which Microsoft, quite frankly, doesn't have.
0: And if you guys are, if anyone out there is thinking, I wonder if they can do this. I wonder if they can do that. Because typically, uh, where this comes into play and where it can get complicated is with uh, contact center, right? Mm-hmm. So you've boards, you've got wait times, you've got I want to know what my average call time is, hold time, out of work, this, various different, um, you know, uh, different agents, and and and. Just all kinds of different call cues and everything like that. And there's probably numerous questions that people have. The one that always comes up with me that's like a standout one is the ability to have presence between teams and the contact center. And I think I might have asked you this last time. You said it was like one way or something like that, or is it both? I mean, just like there's a ton of questions that come up. So if anyone has any questions, just feel free to... um, you know, message me on LinkedIn or email or, or just, you know, just ask Jonathan yourself. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can message him if you've got any questions about the and stuff uh, from after the show. Uh, complete side note. How did you get into this? How did you get into this to begin with? What was your, um, you know, how, what was your start with technology? How, how, did, this, <laughs> how did you, how did this happen to you?
1: You know, that's, that's an interesting story. Um, I I think, you know, I I started out kind of self-employed more on the finance sector and um, helping small businesses gain the appropriate financing and building out a a web in the box and doing credit card processing, kind of a a whole small business in a box type thing. Um, I had a couple of partners there that we all worked together and did
0: that. And um, at a certain point, um,
1: so I don't know a
0: telecom guy that says, and you're like, hey man, can you refer me to the credit card guys? And they say, hey, can you refer <laughs> me to the telecom guys? And you're like, hey, I think telecom's better. I'm yeah, just, right. well,
1: I- it was it was it was a friend, right? And he led me astray, and he got me into conferencing, and then I hitched my wagon to that shooting star, and here I am. Uh, so. Okay. So
0: so credit card processing to conferencing to to telecom, to full-blown contact center at Vonage and now sales engineer? How'd you end up going sales engineer versus if you started out kind of your own business and kind of building your own way? Why why sales engineer? Because it's, it's just not engineering and it's not sales and it's kind of just fun.
1: It's a little of both. I think that's, I, you hit the nail on the head earlier. It's one of the funnest positions in the organization is you get to be technical, which that's where I'm very interested in how the technology works and, and what it does and what you can do with it. But then I still get to talk to people, right? I guess I'm that outgoing
0: engineer, pseudo engineer, however you want to call it. It's uh, I, I enjoy these engagements. The engineers. I exist because the engineers can't talk to people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. it's, it's kind
1: of a cliche, but um, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that was, uh, I was doing, I was in sales. I really enjoyed the sales aspect of it. And an opportunity came up for the SE role. And I said, I want to do it. And they said, hit these benchmarks. And um, you've proven you understand the products and things like that. And
0: what, is that? what are it? those benchmarks? I'm just curious, like, how smart do you have to be to be a solutions engineer? Like, like what kind of questions stump you? Because we used to play, let's stump it. I used to have like a part during during numerous meetings, like, because when I when I do a meeting, it's with multiple providers. We'll meet with you know we we'll Vonage, we'll meet with uh, Genesis, we'll meet with I don't know Nice, Eight by Eight, Five Nines, Ring Central, right? And I just have like the stump the engineer session. <laughs> okay, let's stump the engineer. Can we ask him a question that he failed? What stumps you? I, you know, it's it's new acronyms and technology
1: grows at this exponential rate. There's this expectation of a so sales engineer.
0: Networking experience, do you think? Like, I mean, like, like hardcore kind of like technical networking experience. Like there's got to be some IT guy that asks you a question and you're just like. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's the network
1: engineers. Right. So, like, it was interesting when I started out, I, I worked at um. Telesphere that was one of the acquisitions of Vonage. And we were heavy into MPLS. And so I was far more practiced in my networking knowledge at that time. But then mm-hmm. as Vonage changed over the years, we've become more of a software driven organization. And so now more of my answers and questions and things that I'm comfortable with are API driven. So I'll, you know, a network engineer will come up, and will ask me a question. I'll be like, I'll have to look that up or I look to one of my SEs and say, hopefully, you know, this question because I can't remember the answer. I know what he's talking about. I just don't know the answer. Um, It doesn't matter. We're WebRTC. It doesn't matter. (laughs) And then eventually she'll save my skin because she knows the answer my SE does and we're we're good to go. But um, I think it's it's just that there's this expectation that, you know, a lot or at least a little about everything. And it's it's a really difficult position for an SE to be in sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not whining or anything. I love getting that challenge. But I also know that SEs get into this role because they like that, because they get asked a question they don't know, and they want to go back and research it. They want to know how to answer that question. And so that's kind of something mm-hmm. we we'll look for is, what didn't I know when I walked into this meeting that now I know?
0: And I'm only mentioning that for any IT directors or IT managers out there that might not be in a job right now because your business shut down during COVID or whatever the reason is. You know, a sales engineering job pays pretty well and is pretty fun. And you can just, you know, you'll you'll have all the knowledge that, that most yep. people don't have. You can just hop right into that role and... You know, you, you you don't have to worry about keeping systems up and ticketing systems or anything like that anymore. You can pretty much just show up to a meeting and help the other guy that is in that nightmare um, answer all his questions.
1: Yeah. yeah. And selfish plug, Phil, but we do have some open SE recs oh, um, here at Vonage. Oh, so. yeah.
0: Where are they located? Job openings. Uh, Literally, we have a, section we have a couple in the east and we have a couple in the west. So, I mean, well, what's east? like northeast, southeast. I mean, like, oh, that's a good a point. There? OK,
1: that's fair. We have we have a couple in the northeast and we yeah. have one on the far west coast. So pack um, northwest. But again, these roles have allowed us to be remote. So while oh, nice. they're to sport certain areas, remote is
0: fine for a lot of these as well. And I wonder if I'm smart enough. Maybe I should apply. I only, I only want to be on like four calls a week. That's it. Uh, <laughs> no, we're gonna have to talk, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Can I do like a part-time SE role? Just pay me hourly. You know, we'll just the, like, yeah. I don't want to go on that one. I don't like that guy.
1: My favorite's gonna be creating
0: that model for payroll. <laughs> <laughs> we just outsourced SEs. Wait a second. We could have a website. We could turn that up you know, part-time, you know, just have like a group of like a thousand of them. And like, we need, we have some slots open today. I get those questions all the time. I get some, there's this like European, like, I don't know, they collect data or something and they keep asking me for my professional opinion on things. Like, can you get on a call with this company on this day they're looking to start an SD WAN company and they want to see what the competition's like in the United States. Can you get on a call and answer these questions? And I'm like, yeah. Like how much uh, are you now? I'm like 400 bucks an hour. And they're like, okay, we need you from Tuesday from two to three. I'm like, okay. And like, they, I literally just, you know, I'm like 400 bucks an hour. That seems about right. You know? Yeah. Okay, let's just <laughs> to answer some questions. I love it. Hey, why uh, not? And they've just got like this database of like telecom people that they just call and ask to answer people's questions. You know, maybe SE rule. Sorry. A lot of coffee today. Um, so I have a, by the way, anyone out there listening to the show right now, uh, we are looking for reviews on Apple Podcasts. You go to Apple Podcasts, or you go to Google, and you type in "dissecting popular IT nerds." And when Apple Podcasts pops up, click on that. Scroll to the bottom. Give us your honest review. Like the text matters, right? Like I love five star reviews, of course, but you know your honest review is very, very helpful for placing us in the top 100 technology podcasts of the year. Uh, Recently, was listed in the top 35 must listen to technology podcast of 2021. I don't know what list that's on, but I guess I got listed on that. Literally. Hey, congrats. That's nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on. Next section of the show is, uh, that's a stupid thing. We I have a friend that was in telecom, worked for a long time. He went to Microsoft and we used to always laugh and be like, that's a stupid thing. Uh, what's the dumbest thing that we do right now in telecom, this is advice to IT directors out there listening, CTOs, CIOs. What's the dumbest thing that someone could do when migrating or choosing a provider or something like that? There's got there's got to be something out there that you can think. What's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: I, I mean, right away, it's assuming that the sales rep and sales engineer understand your business thoroughly. Um, that assumption will lead you into misses during the install phase. And it could be as nuanced as, well, we expected the call pickup to be two buttons or that you would be able to visually see it over here or over there. You know, um, I think that that's the one thing is not like do yourself the favor, take the time to scope the project properly with your service provider. I think that all of us are in a rush and we
0: all make assumptions but we need to work through that. I I didn't think you were going to say something that mind-blowing. I really (laughs) didn't. I didn't think you were going to say something that mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. And I do say that I never, one of the reasons why I pick the people that I work with and why the people choose to work with me, and I do pick, I do not work with everyone, is I and from I do not work with everyone. I am biased. I'm definitely biased towards providers. Anyone that says we're a non-biased, you know, <laughs> no, of course you're biased. You're everyone's biased. Everybody's got some <laughs> Maybe carrier agnostic, but you know i'm just really not agnostic either i i'm still kind of biased and you know but i i guess you could say we give you options right but the main point is yes assuming assuming that someone understands your business thoroughly is yeah a huge mistake that's why it's always important to make everyone prove it if you're going to say you can do this this and this we still need to do a poc proof of concept so that we can implement it in your company so that because once end users start playing with things it's never the way that, you know, they find a way to break things or not understand something or do something, right? Yeah. It's just not the way. And once you're past the, the Gartner magic quadrant and in Frost and Sullivan and the sales rep has made a sale and walks away, that order gets passed off to... Let's be frank and honest here a butt in the seat project manager who's completely overloaded with as many installs as we can ram down their throat to get installed because that all equals revenue. And there's very little time in between, uh, cutovers and various different things to respond to, you know, anyone's email. So a POC is very, very important so that we can go through that process, understand what that implementation looks like and tweak things and and make sure that it's custom fit to your business. Would you say that that's... I think that's very fair. And I, I would also add, too, I mean, as an IT professional,
1: make sure you do yourself the favor of reaching out to the other people you're going to impact, not only maybe end users, but leaders of those end users, because there's nuance in those departments that while you understand how a technology works at a certain level, you may not understand exactly how that end user is using it, say in the marketing department versus the contact center versus the sales department. And if you want adoption, which we all do, cause that helps the ROI it's you've got to make sure you understand those. So while you think you're protecting them from sales people by not including them in the process um, you're ultimately creating gaps and knowledge that that will be missed again. in in that install.
0: I, I, if I was, um, I, if I was your boss or part of your team, I, I would, I would say that I'm proud of you. <laughs> I, I, wish, I appreciate that, that, Phil. Know, I've never heard that answer in my life from a telecom person ever. Never, ever, ever. I've heard. A lot of speak on ROI, on on how our product can help, you know, you know just ROI. I've heard a lot of ROI speak. But adoption, roundtable, reaching out to other people on your team, really making sure that we, say, even survey our end users. There's, I mean, I know there's a lot of speak of that in the IT management field. Of course there is. But is there a lot of speak of that in the vendor sales process i would say that there's not not as much i mean sometimes there's a there's a hurry
1: to get ink on the paper right which is the unfortunate part of it but you and i both know phil that the way to a happy client is to make sure you're providing them the product they need
0: not the product you want them to have excellent so much fun um I would say, you know, if I was going to, I was going to ask you, like, if you had any advice for anyone out there, but that's, that's the best advice you could give. Don't assume they understand your business thoroughly. Reach out to people uh, within your business, i.e. all the various different departments, which you should be doing anyways. You should be connecting with your end users in various different departments and communicating with them and not hiding in the server room, which, which should, (laughs) which should not exist anymore. Right. Um you know, you, you should be doing that anyways. Um, so that's great. So we need to ask you the advice piece. Let's ask you what not to do, or what's the worst nightmare scenario thing that's ever happened to you that you can imagine. And why did that happen? You know, to, to me
1: specifically, it was, um,
0: you know, we, we chose the
1: wrong outsourced company to help with an install because we did not have people in a specific area of the U S. And so we were going through an install, And we were configuring everything appropriately, everything was going smoothly, and then it came down to the physical component, which was, you know, the rack and stack with switches and um, routers lighting up the, the network, and then also the IP phones. And we would just get these random calls from the client saying, should a switch be on the floor? And I'm like, on the, floor, <laughs> on the floor, where? Like, is it just being waited to be installed? I'm like, I'm, I guess. With, it, a, with an
0: ashtray on top. And, <laughs> uh, you know, like, and should this guy be like putting beer bottles on the, you know. Hang- <laughs> right. it, was, it was all those
1: things. And like, they sent me pictures of like a, a switch sitting on somebody's desk. And I'm like, where's the data closet? And they're like, oh, it's, a, it's around the corner. I'm like, well. Uh, okay. I like, it was the strangest thing and it was really that install. And, you know, and an, an install can really ruin everything. You can bounce back from it, but it really, if you start off with such a bad taste in your mouth, it's really hard to overcome as, as a service provider. And so that's the one that always sticks out in my head. And I think that that was, oh, probably eight yeah, or nine years ago.
0: Really yeah. I found that usually the biggest point, pain point is on the cut, is on the cutover day. Mm -hmm. It is. It's not like, will this product work? I've even seen POCs go fine, and then why did the why did the install be so? Why was it so mismanaged? Why was it a circus act? Why, you know? Um. So again, though, to get more detailed on that, the the failure was the people. The failure wasn't really the product. The failure was the people on that one. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, I I think to a degree, but I I also think it's the business too because we trusted. In a sense, we did not vet properly. So I I don't think it's all just on, you know, the fact that we had an unprofessional, you know, person do the install. It was, we were in a rush. We didn't take the time to vet this third party. And we pushed forward because we took our own business for granted. We live in this world. We eat, sleep, and breathe it, right? And I think a lot of technology professionals do this is we just expect people to understand things at a certain level that we already understand because it's second nature to us. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It was like, I'm trying to think of the the best example. Like, um, when you're first teaching somebody to drive a car, uh, you just assume they're going to pick their foot up off the gas if they get nervous instead of just mash it down to the ground. But you have to tell them, Hey, slowly take it off, slowly Mm -hmm. apply the brake. Don't stamp your foot down. You'll get a better result type of thing. Um,
0: do you have any kids that are 16 or 17?
1: Not yet. Not yet. I'm bracing for impact on that. Okay.
0: <laughs> My daughter's 17. I just, it was like a special moment going with her. It was like the thing she did with dad. Yeah. You know, like learning, driving, going and get her a license or anything. She learned pretty fast and um, she did pretty well. She wasn't like, you know, like even like the, even like the, the officer that did the test and everything like that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the drivers at prison are like, Oh, I was just, you know, it was like a pleasure having your daughter because it wasn't like, you know, complete fear. <laughs> <laughs> ready to drive. They're like, I'm ready to drive. Some kids are like, I'm not ready to drive, but I know what you mean. Like you have to, you have to tell them like, it's not turn into the intersection going straight and then do a 90 degree turn, like, and then turn the wheel. It's kind right. of like a, you know, more like a 45 degree it's yeah. like a increment. You know, people don't, it's funny because you, you've been driving and doing it, unconsciously, you don't even remember driving, you know, you know, yeah. we don't even remember driving on a two hour drive. Like, oh, it just happened. And, and that's, that's, I think, you know, for any technology professional out
1: there, it's take a minute, breathe and make sure that what you're explaining is in enough detail for somebody who doesn't live in your world to understand. And mm-hmm. It's that that I, I kind of believe in that extreme ownership as well. Is you know that was that was on us for not taking the time to talk through it with this install person, and we just made assumptions and thought, hey, he said a couple of right acronyms, he knows what he's doing, let's move.
0: Mm. I uh, asked you last time what was the best part about Vonage, and you said you're the most flexible platform. Yep. I I think that is the best part. But what does that mean to people out there listening? And why is that important? Um, I I think it's important because
1: actually, let's start with what it means. I think that's a better place to start. What does that mean? Um, I think not only do we have the entire stack when you think of unified communications, contact center, and then API capabilities. So somebody could come for us for just one, or they could come for all. Uh, consumption of all of our products, um, but also to the extensibility of the platform for us to integrate and do one-off and unique scenarios. And when we talk to partners, that helps us really um, fit specifically into a client's need, whereas out-of-the-box products don't always do that. Um, So we have development professionals on staff so that if you need to Get advice on how can we utilize these APIs from a dev perspective to complete our communications infrastructure or go to market strategy.
0: Um, but it's, it's do you have guys? Things. Do you have dev people that can development software development professionals that could write the code from start to finish for someone for like a simple API? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I've got this janky old server running some crazy old software for my, I don't know, um, uh, manufacturing company. Manufacturing. Uh, there's so many thoughts that came. Out. <laughs> let, uh, let me stop you there, uh, Phil, real quick. Real syringe quick. We're, this. We're, we're manufacturing, um, um, you know, syringes. Yeah. Uh, can you guys build the API for the screen pop into their weird, janky old CRM? Can we? possibly, should we? That's a different <laughs> discussion, right?
1: It's, and, and I think that's the thing, right? That's why that's you're why around Phil. That's also why the approach we take, which is what is best practice as well? Like what is your long-term strategy? If you're holding this together with bubble and band-aids, maybe we should be looking at what is your, like, let's get you to a better database strategy first before we engage on all these other screen pops and go down this path. Because if that falls apart on you and you're forced to switch that technology, then dev costs come back up again because we would have to engage again to to integrate into a new platform.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, sometimes it takes. Uh, in that particular case that I was thinking of, the actual IT director had had quite good development skills and he built the API himself in like I think it was like four to eight hours. That's he just awesome. Want, he just wanted to read an inbound caller ID and pop a screen.
1: Yeah.
0: And and a um, lot of times we just advise on it because there are right.
1: the folks that can do that, right? point In- is out. allow
0: them to do that. You allow them to do it. You have some kind of sandbox. You guys allow them to build into this type of stuff. Correct. Okay. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you that I should have asked you that was just like, you know, any other mind-blowing stuff? Because we already got the assuming the vendors, <laughs> you know, understand business thoroughly. That was, that's just a gem,
1: Well, I'm glad it worked out. Um, No, nothing that I can think of right off the top of my head, but I really appreciate you inviting me on, Phil, and I hope uh, your listeners got a little bit out of it. Yeah, thank you so much.